Survivor Flop, a podcast for the best and worst historical fiction has to offer. I'm your host, Erin. And I'm Grace. And each week we'll be reading a different historical fiction book to see if they are a five or a flop. So for season one, our theme is reading around the world, which means two books per continent. And today we are headed back to Asia to read The Henna Artist. But before we get started, Grace, what's new with you? Oh my gosh. So... We have recently passed the new year. Yes, and at that, the time of recording. And that means that our favorite reading tracker, Storygraph, has been... Blowing up. Absolutely popping off. The number of downloads... Okay, so Storygraph has been a little bit broken because there are too many people on the servers. There's just so many fucking people on there making new accounts, which is great for us because we get more friends on the app. Yes. So we want Storygraph to thrive. It is unfortunate to see that it has been like shut down so much. But I am very happy that they have a, quote, unprecedented number of new downloads. No, it's awesome. Um, And Grace, what is your top genre? And if you don't have your wrapped in front of you, I have your wrapped in front of me. So if you don't Um, remember. No, I think I do remember. My top genre was romance. But historical was pretty tight on its heels. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had contemporary, literary, and historic and history. History. Which is apparently different than Yeah, history. historical history is fiction, is, history is okay. nonfiction. I'm very impressed because I did not remember mine without looking, but my top were historical, which makes sense, followed very closely by literary, then thriller, mystery, and contemporary. All right, so we have a little bit of overlap. We have a little bit of differentiation. And actually, all of my top authors were podcast authors. <gasps> Maggie O'Farrell, Queen of Hamnet, Hamnet. also The Marriage Portrait. Yeah, Jesse, Homegoing, and also Transcendent Kingdom. And Eleanor Catton, which we haven't talked about, but she wrote The Luminaries, and I also read The Rehearsal. Yes. And I had many thoughts on both of those. Sneak peek for our season finale. Yes. That is actually very impressive of you, because I don't think I've read any other books by pod authors yet. I recommend it. I mean, yeah, Jesse, we know I love. Transcendent Kingdom was, like, really close to home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Maggie O'Farrell, I'm actually on the wait list for another of her books from the library. I really so I'm have. really excited. I really have wanted to read The Marriage Portrait. So it's I'll get around good. to that. Yeah, I'm actually, like, it's, I think, more popular than Hamnet. So maybe we could have done it for the pod instead. But Hamnet is just so iconic for the pod. It is. I love mm-hmm. Hamnet. Um, what's new with me? I'm going to Charlotte next weekend um, to see my boyfriend Santiago's family. I actually had a brief stint where I lived in North Carolina. You did not like it. No, it was very bad. I decided to go to grad school in person at UNC Chapel Hill because they have like one of the top two library programs in the country. And at that point in my life, all I cared about was like status, which is not great. But I also went there in a really low like mental health point. It was right after my dad passed. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I shouldn't have lived in North Carolina, so I'm kind of hoping this trip, like, redeems the state for me. I wound up moving. Everything's okay now. We're back in D.C. We're good. But Swag. I want to have a redemption arc for North Carolina. I think yeah. that'd be nice. Well, it's a lovely state. You know, I'm a Virginian, so it's our neighbor state. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, so. we're doing, um, like, a day or two in Asheville, which is exciting. Oh, it's supposed to be okay. beautiful with the mountains, also freezing. Yeah. But that's okay. Well, you'll have fun. I'm excited. Are you going to take any books with you? Yes, but do I really plan to read them? No, because as we know, Santiago is notoriously not a reader. Oh my god, I actually got him to read a book. <gasps> what he is book? reading, and this will lead into what we're currently reading because over this is right after Christmas when we're recording. My mom and I both had COVID, so our oh, house was on lockdown. But that did mean I read like seven to eight books, and one of them was Under the Naga Tale. So it's the subtitle is A True Story of Survival, Bravery, and Escape from the Cambodian Genocide. Oh, I did see that on your story graph. It was really good. 
good. I loved I love a good memoir. Mm-hmm. And this kind of combines the history aspect. Mm-hmm. It was probably it wasn't my favorite book I read over that COVID period, but it was definitely up there. Like it was You had some bangers. I did have some bangers. It was really good. Um another one I just found on the street, and I'm really glad I did. And now I have Santiago reading it. So maybe we will be reading in Charlotte. You have such a good track record for finding books on the street. I mean, not counting the spy. Not but counting the spy. But we did get I mean. a podcast episode out of it. So We did. It, it was, actually was triggered the idea for the podcast. Good for something. Okay, Grace, what are you reading? I have read, so far in this new year, I have read one book, but it was a really good one. The classic Rebecca okay. by Daphne du Maurier. If you remember of the Daphne du Maurier Award of oh, Taya Cooper the of the Cartographer Secret fame. Which is, like, I never read it before, but, like, it's one of those, like... Which is crazy because you gave me a copy of it. Yes, but I gave you a copy of it because when I went in August on my used bookstore road trip, Uh I was looking for a copy of Rebecca because I had never read it and I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I found, like, a mass market copy. Okay. But I was saying to my friends, like, oh, I wish, like, they had a trade size because I would have bought a trade size. And my friend said to me, oh, I have a trade size copy that I don't want. I'll just give it to you. Oh, okay. So, so I had two copies of Rebecca. So I gave you the okay, mass market. cool, cool. Um, but no, really good. Very iconic. Um, I love an iconic opening line. Last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again. Yeah. And now also that means not only can I watch the excellent Hitchcock adaptation of Rebecca, mm-hmm. I can watch the terrible Netflix adaptation with Army Hammer in it. Oh, my God. I know. Incredible. Yeah. So I am excited that this That's book exciting. has opened those doors for me. All right. So Should you we... want to get into the book of the week, which is The Henna Artist by Alka Joshi. So, Grace, you want to kick us off with the Henna Artist synopsis? Let's go for it. All right. Escaping from an abusive marriage, 17-year-old Lakshmi makes her way alone to the vibrant 1950s pink city of Jaipur. There, she becomes the most highly requested henna artist and confidant to the wealthy women of the upper class. But, trusted with the secrets of the wealthy, she can never reveal her own. Known for her original designs and sage advice, Lakshmi must tread carefully to avoid the jealous gossips who could ruin her reputation and livelihood. As she pursues her dream of an independent life, she is startled one day when she is confronted by her husband, who has tracked her down these many years later with a high-spirited young girl in tow, a sister Lakshmi never knew she had. Suddenly, the caution that she has carefully cultivated as protection is threatened. Still, she perseveres, applying her talents and lifting up those that surround her as she does. Literally, nevertheless, she persisted. I thought that, that synopsis was pretty good for what the book is about. Yes, although I think that there is a bit of a bait and switch in the character of Lakshmi's estranged husband, which we'll get into when we talk about the book. Definitely. But first, let's talk about Alka Joshi. I feel like when we have been picking books for the pod, we swing back and forth between authors that are, like, incredibly successful and have all of these, like, awards and decorations and, like, all of this stuff and debuts. And yes. Alka Joshi, she has published three books now. Actually, The Henna Artist is the first in a trilogy. Yes, Which it is. I did not know until you told me, Erin. Yeah, and I found out after reading it because there was like a little preview for it in my book. Yes. So the third one has just recently come out, uh, but The Henna Artist was her debut. Uh, so Alka Joshi, she was born in India and moved to the U.S. when she was nine. And actually, she was not a writer for most of her life. She worked for several decades as an advertising copywriter. So kind of like Taya Cooper. Yeah, basically. I guess if you want to be a successful historical fiction author, go into advertising. Well, successful is 
Successful if you want to sell books. Horse. If you want to sell yeah. books. <laughs> but she was always interested in creative writing, and she said that her husband really encouraged her to pursue it and to try writing fiction. Aw. Uh, so she took a lot of night classes. When she was 51, she got an MFA in creative writing. And then, yeah, I mean, we love a girl boss who comes into her own, like, later in life. Oh, yeah. There is, you're never too old to do anything. And she sold The Henna Artist after that, which was her first book. But, yeah, so she has three books in this series now. Have you read any of the other ones? Not yet, but I do. And we'll get into this a bit later because I'm sure I don't think you want to continue with the series. I don't think I will. But I have them in my TBR. I'm curious about them. Yes. But I had not heard of her or this book before, even though I believe this book is part of Reese Witherspoon's book club. Yes, this is a Reese's book club. And I was also going to say we've read a handful of books that are very, like, lofty, literary, you know, complicated, dense prose, like blah, blah, blah. And I would say this falls slightly more into the camp of Cartographer's Secret we were talking about where – it's like popular historical fiction. I would say of the books we've read so far, we kind of have a spectrum where Cartographer's Speak Secret is on the far end of like popular light fiction. Yes. And then we have Hamnet, which is just like high literary prose. Yes. And I think this falls closer to the Cartographer's Secret end. Mm-hmm. But I do think this book was like obviously more successful. I think so far, this may be the book that we're recording that most people have read. Yeah. You know? Because like or something would like... enjoy. Yes. Like I think something like Snowflower was also really popular, but that came out several years ago. The Henna Artist is a very recent release. Even before we picked it for the pod, I had seen the cover all over. Like if you've been in a Barnes & Noble in the past three years, you've probably seen the cover of The Henna Artist. So before we talk any more about the book, we just want to give you our usual disclaimer that our judgments come based on the book and the characters within it, rather than any real historical figures they may have been based on. Um, also, obviously, spoilers. Yes. And I will say, actually, The Henna Artist was an extremely interesting book to research from a historical perspective. Mm-hmm. I took the lead on that for this episode. And even you might think that there wouldn't be a ton there because none of the characters are real people. Yeah. Uh, they're all their fiction as far as I am aware. But there are so many things sprinkled into the narrative that I had like five or six things to do research on and I could have easily done more had I mm-hmm. not like put the brakes on it and oh, thought absolutely. like this podcast will not be engaging if I'm just going on for an hour <laughs> about the cast system. I mean like that would be its engaging own separate podcast, but I would not yes. be good at that. I think to kick off our conversation about the book, I want to go back to something you literally just said about how this is more on the end of like light popular historical fiction. Yes. For me, I thought the same thing. This was definitely like a more mass popular type of book, not the high literary. And to be clear, before you continue your thought, we like that. Yes. We are not, that's not like a derogatory thing. Like there, there is a time and place for both kinds of books. Agreed. We're just describing the differences between the two. And that doesn't mean that the henna artist doesn't deal with dark themes either because it does. Yes. But it's more about the writing style itself. But this is actually what I was going to say in that I didn't like that in the cartographer's secret. I liked it for this one. Yes, I, think I it liked that way it was kind of an easy. Like again, it does have some hard themes, but it, for the most part, the prose was an easy read. It went pretty fast. The story was very straightforward. It's readable. It is very readable. And where that didn't work for me in the Cartographer's Secret, it really worked for me here. Yes, you could tell definitely that there was 
plot progression, a decent amount of the beginning of the book is just kind of laying the scene. You open up with Lakshmi, who is their main character, Mm -hmm. who is a single woman, the the titular henna artist. And you figure out, okay, how has she come to create this successful business for herself? You learn that she's building a house. You're Mm -hmm. like, how is this single woman able to pay to build her own house? Where is her family? Where did she come from? Yeah. Where do, so you're just learning who are the people around her? Who are these rich people in her life? You're learning all of these things that are around her. And you're not bored because there's no plot happening in the beginning. You're, you're happy to learning. learn these things. So that context that Alka Joshi provides is very helpful. Yes. And it is just like a very readable book. And it makes it sound in the synopsis that her sister her sister coming is kind of the big pivotal plot point. But it's not in that her sister arriving happens in like the first three chapters. Yes. It kicks off the rest of the plot. But really the sister doesn't do a ton until a bit later on. It was like 200 pages in. Yes. But before we get into that, so her sister's coming and you start to learn more about how Lakshmi's making her money, building her wealth. In addition to being a henna artist... She also works making abortion tea. Yes. So this is a really insanely, like, intense part of the plot is that, like, and I even wrote it down in my notes. I was like, Lakshmi is the oil girl. She has oil for everything. Oh, yeah. Like, when you first see her, she is applying henna to one of her clients. And she's like, oh, and I'll add, like, this oil to Mm -hmm. make your, like, husband think you're beautiful so that you can, like, conceive a son or whatever. And you're like, okay. She just has, like... An oil for everything. And she's like, she's very folk healer. But what she does is the henna is kind of like, almost like the like mattress warehouse front for her money laundering business, which is that she uses the henna and that is like a legitimate business Mm -hmm. as kind of like a cover for her main side, which is helping women get abortions. It's, I call it abortion tea and that makes me laugh because the whole time I was reading it I'm like oh slim tummy tea like those (laughs) things but no it's really she creates like pouches of like herbs and stuff that will help induce abortions and then also kind of act as birth control yeah so that husbands who are cheating on their wives can like give them to their mistresses yeah so that's how it starts but also we learn later in the book and this will lead into me talking about my biggest problem with it Mm -hmm. that um Lakshmi as we learned in the synopsis ran away from an abusive husband. And she was ensuring that whenever that husband got her pregnant, that she would drink her tea and take care of it. Which And she learned all that herbal remedy from his mother, from her mother-in-law. Yes, from her mother-in-law. And so that was an extremely important plot point where she's like, I believe that women have the right to choose who they tie themselves to. Um, And we see her, like, giving the tea to, like, an English woman who is living in India who's Mm -hmm. pregnant with a baby that's not her husband's and stuff like that. So she's like, I believe that women should be able to choose. Yeah. But that tells you my biggest problem is the character of her husband seems like it would be really important if you ran away from your abusive husband and he came back to you. But he was so sidelined that it was kind of the same, again, the same problem I have with The Cartographer's Secret where you said, like, this is a book that was set in the past because it wouldn't work as a story in the present day if women weren't repressed. Yeah. Like if women didn't have to get married. Yes. So this 
The fact that Lakshmi left her abusive husband is really only in the text so that she can live as a single woman but tell people that she's married. Mm -hmm. Because it's stated multiple times, oh, all these rich women would never let a single independent woman into their homes. They would let a respectable married woman Which into at their that homes. point, like, why couldn't she have lied? Yeah, because like, the they've never seen her there? husband anyway. Um, I think she just said, like, I don't think she never provided an explanation yeah. to them. She didn't say she was widowed. She didn't say – she just was like, my husband's not here. I think they kind of assumed she was like – I don't know. They I were, don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, her husband comes back and he extorts some money from her in the very beginning. And he comes back with her sister. With her sister, Radha. Who she – Radha was born after she had already left her husband. So she does not know her sister. Yeah, she did not know she had a sister. The sister is maybe 13. And I think Lakshmi is, like, slightly more than twice that age. She's mm -hmm. in her, like, late 20s. She was, like, 27. Yeah. So the husband comes back. You're, like, great. She's going to be faced with this abusive husband who beat her because she never got pregnant or so he thought. He extorts money from her once. And then you're, like, oh, my gosh. She's going to keep doing terrible things. He's going to show himself to the women mm -hmm. of her business. He's going to extort her. Like, yep. he's going to do all these terrible things. He's going to force her to come home with him. Um, it was a lie. And then he only ever appeared again, like, twice. And then, like, the next time he was, like, using his knowledge of medicine to, like, help, like, poor sex workers. Yeah, he got this wild redemption arc, which and reminded me a lot of Fruit of the Drunken Tree when um, her boyfriend got the redemption arc after yeah. gang raping her. Yeah, and then the second time you see the husband, he's like, I'm sorry, I've changed, I'm a good person. Like, it's, and it's so, never questioned. It's never... It's But you could tell that she just didn't know... She needed that character for the setup of the story, yeah. which is reuniting Lakshmi with her sister and then having her be a respectable married woman. And then after that, she had no idea what to do with him. Yeah. So the plot was not about the abusive husband at all. And I think that had she thought about it for a little while longer, she could have easily found a way to write him out. Mm -hmm. to find a way to get the sisters together and then Lakshmi can just lie and say that she's a widow or whatever. Exactly. Um, the story is taking place in the 1950s. People can't Google if you have a husband <laughs> or not, you know? Saved a lot of trouble in a lot of the books we've read if they can yeah. Google things like that. So I don't know if that was Alka Joshi's thought to put in another – because this is a book about women and women's issues and women's struggles. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she thought that putting that issue of domestic violence into the book would make it – a stronger message or like I don't think it did. be inspirational to people or help give depth to Lakshmi's character, but I don't think it did any of those things. No, I don't think it was really necessary. Yeah. The Especially the redemption arc. No, and that was very out of nowhere. And he didn't do anything to work to earn it. Yeah. Um, the important central relationship in this book is the one between Lakshmi and her sister Radha. But the synopsis leads you to believe that the abusive husband is going to be a major character and he just never becomes one. No, And the character not. that he does have is extremely confusing. No. And let's now get into Radha a bit. Okay. So she comes from the small town. She's kind of like a backwards village girl who like yes. – And Lakshmi is now taking her into her house and is like, okay, what do I do with this kid? So she tries to like bring her along to her appointments and stuff. And Radha just – doesn't know how to act in public. She, like, tries to throw rocks at a girl who is being rude. Like, she does not know how to act in public, and she's very, like, not a city girl. She's not with it. She doesn't really get the societal norms at this point. No. And I do think there was some interesting tension where, like, as Lakshmi decides to, like, take Radha in and, like, kind of raise her, 
she's like giving her all of these like nitpicky things Mm -hmm. that's like you know this is the degree that you must respect people when they're above you like ways to eat without spilling ways to sit without fidgeting like all of this stuff that's like really nitpicky Mm -hmm. that you're like this is some interesting tension because it's like the clash between the two lives yeah and on the one hand Lakshmi never knew she had a sister on the other Radha thought that her sister abandoned and disgraced her family because that's what she did by running away from her husband Mm -hmm. this is a society where like your family reputation is your reputation so what other people do affects you and Radha had a very bad like life in her village Mm -hmm. because partially because of her sisters running away from this abusive husband um but then the girl that Radha tries to throw rocks at is a rich girl who is paying to have her henna done by Lakshmi. Mm-hmm. So that you're like, you can't even know enough to know not to throw rocks at someone yeah, who's paying you. That was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, like Lakshmi, her reputation is everything to her. This is like not, I don't know. The character of Radha, I think it makes sense that she's like difficult and that she doesn't grasp everything right away. Mm-hmm. But she takes it very far and like never... Alka Joshi does not make Radha that likable. Oh, no. She's terrible. She never is, like, learning her lesson, really. Even to the – almost to the bitter end of the book. Oh, yeah. Is not – is not seeing the big picture. And so after this whole rock incident, Lakshmi has a big appointment at the palace to do henna. And Radha was supposed to come, but then Lakshmi's like, you cannot come on appointments with me. So Radha decides she hates her sister, like, will not talk to her anything. And she starts hanging out with this rich boy. And Which, here lies the problem. And here lies the problem. Here lies the plot 200 pages into the book. Mm. Of course, the rich boy says he's in love with her and knocks her up. 13, Rada knocked up. Yeah. And then the boy, like, ditches her. Which we all of course coming. he did. It's, of course. Um, and the but the whole actually, time she's pregnant, she's like, no, he loves me. And everyone is like, girl, he does not. And Get over it. Lakshmi is like, please drink this abortion tea. And she's like, I will not drink the abortion tea. You're right. Like... There is something here. I think it's not executed perfectly, but there is something in that thing of Lakshmi being like, I believe that women need to choose, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you have this choice. And Radha's like, yes, but I choose not to drink the abortion tea. So you're like, there is something there, but you're also like, girl, you are 13 and single and you are you don't like your sister and you're it's 1950. So what are you going to do when you have your baby? You don't have a – she doesn't have a there plan. There was no plan. No. Lakshmi arranges for the baby to be adopted by these wealthy and powerful people. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, when the baby is born, she's like, I can't, like, do it. I can't take the baby away from yeah. Radha, which and, is nice of her. But it kind of works out perfectly because they have another friend who's also pregnant who loses her baby. So they're like, great, you can have Radha's. And they just kind of give the baby away. And that, like, for me, is like, it's a little too neat. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I did like, however, there. so that scene I was like, okay, that's a little too neat because the other pregnant lady lost her baby and then they were like, great, you can have this other one. Like, I'm not sure it, like, works like that. I think he would still be grieving. Like, yeah. She was, just seems fine after that. It was, like, a very easy solution. But I did enjoy there was some tension towards the end of the book where Radha lives with this other pregnant with this you know with the other pregnant friend who's adopted the baby they both they she's kind of like a nurse almost yeah. and they both care for the baby mm-hmm. but Radha just can't 
reconcile herself with the fact that she's not the baby's mother. Yeah. She gave birth to the baby, but she's not going to be raising Which, the baby. Arguably, as like a 13, 14 year old at this point, like, I get it. You know, yeah. that would be really hard for anybody, for especially, anybody, especially when like young. a child who doesn't understand what's happening. Yes. So then eventually, Radha makes the very mature decision. You could argue her first one yeah. to to leave, let her baby be raised by this other woman who has a loving home and a stable family and money mm-hmm. and like all that and leave and go live in the countryside with Lakshmi. And this is Lakshmi's like final thing because she, you know, her sister has brought her shame. The yeah, family she lost of the, all her henna jobs. Yeah, she lost all her henna jobs because she, the mother of the boy who knocked up Radha like dropped her because Lakshmi also slept with her husband. That, but that was a very minor plot point. That yeah, it wasn't we don't need important. to talk about that. And so she like her business is in shambles. She's in debt. She can't pay off her house. But again, kind of in like a Deus ex machina, she goes into the countryside with Radha so that Radha can give birth to her baby, and no one in the city will know. And there, she's doing her folk medicine on the people. And the doctor at the hospital is like, oh, my gosh, please move here and do folk medicine at the hospital. And there's, like, some underlying, like, slight romantic tension. But that is – it's not the point of the plot. It's also, like, not intended to be the point. Like, it was just very much – It's just, like, a side – like, I was fine with that. Yeah. You know, let Lakshmi fall in love with Dr. J. It's fine. It wasn't, like, the cartographer's secret where it was, like, suddenly became this whole big thing. Yeah. No, it was fine. But the weird thing is that, like – her life in the city is falling apart. And then the hot doctor in the countryside is like, please come do your folk medicine in the countryside. Mm-hmm. And she's like, hmm, I don't know. I have to think about it. And then she goes back to the city. It's like, girl, what do you have to think about? Your yeah, life is like in shambles. About. My closing thoughts on this book are that it is fine. I yeah. don't hate this book. It's leagues better than Cartographer's Secret, oh, which is what God. we've been comparing it to the most. Well, nothing is worse. Actually, The Spy was worse than Cartographer's Secret. Yeah. But I would say it's the most similar to Cartographer's Secret. I enjoyed this book. I had a fun time reading it. Mm. I was gasping about the twists with the abortion team. Um, but I will agree that a good bit of it felt contrived mm-hmm. to just, like, get out of the problem. Like, the yeah. husband redemption arc, oh, he's not a problem anymore. Yes. The job, oh, it's not a problem anymore. The yes. baby, the one baby dying so they could give away Rada's baby. Like, everything just worked out a bit Neatly. too nicely. Yeah. There were some plot contrivances, but I did like a lot of it. I Like I said, it's very readable. I enjoyed the character of Lakshmi. I loved Lakshmi. I liked... She was very flawed, but also very motivated. And I think her flaws were very well done and realistic. I agree. I wrote that down as honestly one of my favorite things that Alka Joshi did is I love reading characters that are realistically flawed. And I'm going to talk about that with our next week book also. Mm -hmm. But like it's not – I'm not even talking about like an unlikable character or an anti-hero, not to that extent. no, no, no. Just a normal person who is flawed realistically. And that's how I would describe – Lakshmi. Oh, She's a greedy person. She can't pay off her house because she keeps making it nicer and nicer Mm -hmm. just because she's unable to stop herself. She wants this Lux lifestyle. She had grown up in like such poor conditions too. That now that she has it within her grasp, she feels like she can't let go. She's very ambitious, which is both one of her most positive and most negative traits. Yeah, I think that's kind of what draws a lot of the wedge in her relationship with Rada. Yes, that she has this ambition. That's why That's why she doesn't allow Radha to come to the palace with her, mm-hmm. which she was right about, by yeah, the way. She was, yeah, I like, think... If you're throwing rocks at clients, no, you cannot come to see the Maharajas. Was, you know what it made me think of? You know that scene in The Little Mermaid 
and she wants to go marry the prince on land, and her father's like, no, you're not doing that. You're a child. And she's like, but daddy, I'm 16. Yeah. It, it was giving that. It was giving, like... You think that I you're so like mature, but you're not. In 15 years, Rada is going to look back on this and be like, what the fuck was I doing? It's just kind of the extreme teenage angst. Yeah. And I don't think that's problematic. It did make Rada unlikable because we were seeing more of her through Lakshmi's eyes. Yeah. But I also did sympathize with Rada in a lot of ways because I'm like, I could see like a girl in her situation reacting like this. Yes. I think she could have been softened a little and that would have made her character much less annoying to read. If she was more vulnerable. But she, but Alka Joshi very correctly did not soften Lakshmi at all. No, I thought it was she, like, she was a fabulous case. She was probably one of the characters in all the books we've read who I thought was the most realistic. She was very realistic. And also I liked how she has made this arrangement for Rada's baby to be adopted. And the whole time she's like, it makes me feel bad to do this, but I know it is the best thing. And at that time, like, it's hard to ever justify taking someone's baby away from them without their consent. Yeah. But this is the situation in which I think it is the most justifiable. I agree. Um, where, like, you – like, Lakshmi at that point, her business is falling apart. She won't even have the means to support the two of them. Radha mm-hmm. certainly doesn't have the means. And the baby can go live somewhere where it will be, like – Loved and cared for. Loved. And Radha can still, when she's able to, become a part of the baby's life. Yes. Um, and even before that, when she arranges for the baby to go to the palace, she knows that she's providing, like, an amazing life for the yeah. child. And I think she can see that because, A, because she's older, but B, it's not her baby. Yes. Versus Rada being so young, being it, her convinced the father the child loves her. She's very blinded by that. And I don't, I think that's very fair. Yes. And it's not until the baby is born and Lakshmi actually sees and holds him mm-hmm. that she realizes, like, no, I can't do this. So she has these, like, I thought that was a very good moment. I thought the character of Lakshmi, the central character, I think is the strongest one. Mm-hmm. I think all of the rest of them have either have their own problems None of the characters are terribly executed, I think, with the exception of the abusive husband, yeah. who I think was just like, I think that was I think should have just been written out of the book. Frankly. Yeah, I don't think she knew what to do with him. I don't think she did either. And then all of the other characters either are like good with their flaws or they just like are very minor and it's kind of like hard to say. Like the doctor that pops up at the end, like he's fine, but he's in such a small part of the book that you and can't really pass a lot of judgment on him. This is really interesting because as we said at the start, this is the beginning of a trilogy. Yes. And the two subsequent books, Lakshmi is not the main character. The two subsequent books each take place like each several, several years in the future. The second mm-hmm. one is about, we didn't even talk about Malik. He's like the servant who goes with them to live to the village. The second is about him. The third one is about Radha when she's much older. So I am, I enjoyed this book. I thought it was a light, fun read. I am very interested in reading the other two because I want to see what happens to their character development. Yeah. I did think it was funny at the end of the book, like the last, very last part of the book is when Lakshmi and Radha are on the train moving to their new life in the countryside, which is a very nice image. And then Malik who is, like, a little street boy who, like, runs errands for Lakshmi for her business. He's a delight. He's delightful. He doesn't really do anything, like, of consequence in this book other than just be there. Yeah. He'll get his, you know, he'll get his drama in his book, I suppose. But then he's going with them on the train. And that was my one thing at the end. I'm like, why is he here? What's interesting, too, is that the next two books both sound more romancy. 
Interesting. Which this one was not. Like, it has that tiny little bit thread with the Doctor that doesn't really... It, no spoilers for the next books, but it does go somewhere in the next books. Well, maybe it's because, like, by the time this... When the Henna Artist came out, since then... Here, I'm checking. this. The Henna Artist came out in 2020. Okay. Since then, romance has, like, exploded. Oh, because when everyone was in lockdown, they had nothing to do but read romance books. Exactly. So it has been, like... It always was an extremely popular selling genre, but now it's, it's one more. that people are talking yeah, about. Yeah, I can see that. So I wonder if that she was like, okay, this is what people want and I can give it to them. Yeah, so I'm really interested in the next two. I do want to read them. I know I like this book more than you, not because it was a high work of literary fiction, yeah. but it was fun. I was kind of like, the plot really didn't kick up until Rada got pregnant, which was about 200 pages in, if yes. I'm not mistaken. And this is like a... Regular length book, like a 350 Yeah, it's not, book. it's not a long book. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you said at the beginning, we were learning so much in that first bit that I was kind of okay with it not really kicking off because I was just interested in the world. Yeah. And for me, like I said, this book wasn't bad. It wasn't great either to me. I thought it was fine. I think I had a lot of problems with the external stuff, mm-hmm. but the character of Lakshmi being so strong is kind of what held it together as I was reading. I think I have one final thought to share on this book. And okay. I want to know if you, because we both checked this out from the library. I want to know if your copy is the same because you have it in front of me. Okay. There was a review from the Christian Science Monitor on the Yes. Cover, and I was, can you just read it real fast? Okay. It's just like one of the cover quotes. Yeah. Uh, Vibrant characters, evocative imagery, and sumptuous prose create an unforgettable tale. Christian Science Monitor. Which was fascinating to me because so much about this book is about like, abortion tea i don't really know that christian science churches stance on yeah that. i don't know a ton about christian science fascinated by that quote like i was really skeptical going into that book because of that just something that's so like it's automatically sets a tone yeah but i don't think it applied to this book like i this book yeah. did not strike me as like a no it religious. was not no and also though like i we read you guys the synopsis earlier until you start reading the book, and not until like a decent amount of the way in, you don't know. What you don't know about. about the abortion tea. No, that is not part of it. It's about you think you're reading a book about a henna artist who has fled an abusive relationship. Yeah, so which is honestly barely what the book is about. It's a very interesting quote source to be on the cover. Anyways, just wanted to point that out. But I All think right. now is a good time because we have quite a lot of history to get into. We do. So like I said, like there are just so many things that are in like tidbits of this book. Like tiny little aspects that make up their society. Yes. So here's what we're going to talk about. We have four things and I'm going to kind of go over all of them in like quick-ish right. succession. Go for it. We're going to talk about the city of Jaipur okay. in, in the 1950s. We're going to talk about henna, henna design, because part of what Lakshmi says makes her so in demand is her, like, unique designs. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about henna design. Her designs influence from other countries. Yes. We're going to talk about birth control and family planning in India in the 1950s. And we're going to talk about the Maharajas. Great. Yes. Okay. So first, let's just talk about the city. This book takes place in Jaipur in the 1950s, mm-hmm. um, which is just after the independence from Britain and the partition of India. Yep. So those things I would not say are necessarily part of the book, but they're just kind of like they they're influential. It, they surround the characters in like a vague way. Yeah. Like you know how when you learn about history in school, they tell you like 
people didn't know that they were living in the Renaissance while they were living in it. Exactly. It's just kind of like something that's part of your life, but like no one's lives in this book are dominated by partition. It's like Hamlet didn't know how famous Shakespeare was going to be. You know? Exactly. Exactly like that. <laughs> uh, Lakshmi's father is mentioned to have been like a very dedicated advocate for independence from yeah. Britain, but he died before it happened. So that was really just like reflective of his character and not like a way for Al-Khajoshi to tell us about politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just kind of lends general context to the book. Jaipur is the capital of the state of Rajasthan. Um, it is in the northwest of India. I wouldn't say the city is like close to the Pakistan border, but, like, it certainly is not that far away by the standards yeah, of India. that's fair. Um, it is called the Pink City. Like, it is called the Pink City in the book, and that's because a lot of its buildings are made out of, like, rosy, like, oh, bricks. Oh, that's so pretty. Yeah, so I think if you went, like, it is a very beautiful city. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and we'll talk real quick about then if the... If we get sponsorships, we can go there. Oh, my gosh. We'll take a trip and we'll post about <laughs> it on our Instagram. Um, the... Maharajas because that ties in with the partition and the independence okay. from Britain because in so this like I said this book takes place in the 50s I believe the early 50s I don't we're not given a year yeah actually we are given years we are okay what year it's I think it says at the start of the chapters doesn't it tell you what year oh yeah okay like uh 55 56 yeah mid 50s thank you Aaron so in 1947 the Maharajas are they're the Princes that rule the states of India. Okay. Um, and before the, there became more of them after Britain kind of colonized India. So around the time of partition, there were like 600. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of them. And they were just like fabulously wealthy. The biggest icon that Westerners associate with them is the Taj Mahal. Oh, yeah. But like everything is gem encrusted, like this absolute luxurious, insanely wealthy lifestyle. After partition, they lose their political power, but they still have the prominence in society and their wealth. Mm -hmm. So over time, I think, like, a lot of them would kind of come down in the world. Like, not necessarily be poor, but, like, open up parts of their grand houses to the public, sell off a lot of their jewels. Mm -hmm. Like, if you watch, like, the last three seasons of Downton Abbey, it's kind of like what happens to them when the British aristocracy falls following World Mm -hmm. War I. So they still have this wealth, and that's why, like, Lakshmi knows that going there is going to do amazing things for her henna business, Mm -hmm. but they do not hold governmental power at the time of the story. Okay. Yes. And then really quickly... I feel like this is important to talk about because I want to read this quote. Okay. There is some brief mention of caste in the book, of the caste system. I don't want to talk about the caste system too much, partially because... We could talk about it forever. We could talk about it forever, and I don't know if I would do a good job, frankly. I don't know if I would do that subject justice. And also, it is such a minor part of the book relative to the subjects of henna and family planning. Yes. But I will say I found this review from Datebook which is a subset of the San Francisco Chronicle. Okay. So it's like, you know, a legitimate source. It's a review of the henna artist, and the title is, Henna Artist Paints a Dramatic India, If Not Entirely Historical, which I think, which caught my eye. I was like, huh? What are you talking Mm -hmm. about? And the quote in here, talking about the liberties that they feel that Alka Joshi takes with the history generally and specifically relating to the caste system. There are elisions and incongruities in in dramatizing the caste system in 1950s India, particularly as it relates to women. It's a mistake to read this as straight historical fiction. To write about caste in a credible or thoughtfully imagined way would be to write more of cruelty and injustice. Mm -hmm. India's ongoing difficulties with caste and religious identity are part of the reason the country finds itself in turmoil today. 
The effect this novel generates, however, is analogous to reading Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind while a righteous Black Lives Matter protest is underway. Interesting. Yeah. So that is really strong language. It is. So that implies to me that this author thinks that the way that Alka Joshi writes about caste, which is an incredibly in a minor way, is not appropriate. Interesting. Okay. I'm glad you shared that review because that's not something me as a Western American reader no, would have picked up on. Exactly. And it's very minor in the book. It has, I think it's mentioned twice. Yeah. It's mentioned because she comes from like the scholar level. Yes. She talks about, like, being a fallen Brahmin because she touches women's feet when she does henna, I believe. And that's kind of the extent of it. So I do think that this analogy might be a little bit exaggerated just for to get people to understand Mm -hmm. because it has such brief mention while comparing something like Gone with the Wind where, like, the Confederacy dominates the whole of the book. But I do want to put that out there that I think it does at least make it clear that Alka Joshi is taking a few liberties. Interesting. Okay. Yes. That's good to know. And that leads me into Henna, where she, I believe, also takes some liberties. Oh, this is changing my historical accuracy, Sora, as we go. (laughs) Yes. So I actually couldn't find an insane number of resources on Henna design and how that has evolved. I've seen a lot on how henna just, like, came to be popularized. Mm -hmm. I think India particularly is known. There are several countries that use henna. Yes. um, But India popularized bridal henna. Which which is is probably what is, in the Western world, probably what is most commonly known for, at least in pop culture. Yes. And that is the bulk, I would say, of Lakshmi's business, too, is doing henna for brides and for bridal parties. She does it more regularly for her other clients, but it seems like that's her moneymaker. Yes, is bridal henna. And again, in the West, we have this interpretation of henna as, I would say, being very lacy and floral, mm-hmm. uh, very delicate and lots of intricate designs. And that is the henna that Lakshmi is presented as doing. Mm-hmm. And she's specifically doing plants from other countries. Yes. She's like, I'm drawing intensive design. But I did find something to indicate that those kinds of floral designs in henna did not become popular until the 70s. Interesting. Yes. So I don't know quite how the evolution happened Mm -hmm. because, like, at the origins of henna and bridal henna, and I'm talking, like, centuries ago, people would do the palms of their hands and the soles of their feet solid color. Oh, okay. Like no pattern at all, just like completely filled in. And this is actually, I will give some credit to Alka Joshi if this is where, why she chose to set the book in Jaipur, because that is specifically cited as like one of like the capital of henna design. Okay. Like a lot of the current innovations in henna came from that, came from Rajasthan, the state. Interesting. Yes. So that would be super accurate if, so Alka, good job, go you. Um... But so all of the stuff that Lakshmi was doing, I think with the, you know, floral planty designs at all would not have been accurate. But I think certainly people aren't being like, oh, my God, you know, begonias from Vietnam. Yeah, right. You know, like that is definitely like making her look smart and like savvy to the reader. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's reflective of actual henna. Gotcha. Yes. But the last thing, actually, this was really interesting for me to learn about is, again, if she, this is why she selected the year, because there is a ton of information about 
birth control in the 1950s in India. Okay. I was worried that, like, narrowing in on a decade that's specific would yeah. not, like, be easy I for researching. I think around the 50s was when, like, this might be very wrong, but I think that's around when, like, the pill and other method- methods of birth control were becoming more popular worldwide. Yes. And India specifically, they have been, I think, really attuned to the concept of family planning because they have a gigantic population. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have to be. Like, you know how China famously had the one-child policy? There were states for a long time in India that had a two-child policy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. They no longer do, as far as I'm aware. Um, But in the 1950s, that was the turning point where they were like, okay, we need to do something about our population. Mm -hmm. And so they instituted something called the National Family Planning Program, Uh, And at the time, its main goals or, like, its main methods by which to provide birth control to people were distribution of IUDs Mm -hmm. and permanent sterilization. Yes. And there are some, like, controversies about that because I think part of it is, like, providing that option to people who want it, Mm -hmm. which is, like, good. Like, I think you should be able to get, you know, if you're a man and you have had, like, four kids and you don't want more, you can go get a vasectomy. And I think that's, like, good. Like, good for you. But I think part of it is I saw – I didn't go into this intensely because it's not related to the book, but it seems important to mention that Indira Gandhi, I think, forced a lot of people to be sterilized. Yeah. Which is, you know, not surprising because, you know, in America we also have had a history of forcing people to be sterilized. It happens worldwide. Yeah. So that's, like, a controversial, like, is that something that's an available service or, like, are you requiring people to do it? Yeah. But also IUDs. um, And then – but Lakshmi was performing abortions. Yes. And those were not legalized in India until 1971. Which would make sense. It didn't seem like she was doing it entirely legal. No, it seemed like she was sneaking around. But also, when they were legalized in 1971, it was only for uh, women of, like, certain groups. Again, so that's, like, women who are victims of rape and yes. incest and et cetera. Makes and then sense. married women. And it was not until um, 2022 that unmarried women were given the right to an abortion. Oh, wow. Interesting how I know. married women. Yeah. So I didn't expect – and I think that is for the same issue of, like, if women are just having, like, a baby every year okay. for the whole time that they're able – like, it will, you know. So I think they're like, okay, if you're married and you have six kids, okay, gotcha. you can have an abortion if you want to. Or, like, if you're married and you have a baby who is, like – you know, not going to survive. Yeah, then, I see, I see. Yes, um, but not for unmarried women because they were not supposed to be mm-hmm. having sex. Um, but at the time that the book takes place, this program was, like, just beginning. So things like the distribution of IUDs would come a little bit later. Yep. Um, so at the time, what they promoted was the rhythm method. Which is? Which is keeping track of when your period is and when you're on your fertile days, you don't have sex. Natural family planning, as it's called in the Catholic Church. Yes. And I read oh, this. Oh, I have some thoughts about natural family <laughs> planning that is not pot appropriate content to talk about yes. right now. But And there was reading, I was reading this article, um, and thank you to Virginia Commonwealth University for continuing to provide me with access to JSTOR, because oh I was God. reading an article on JSTOR, which I love to do. Go VCU, um, go Rams. Go Rams. About... At first, they were trying to figure out how to get birth control methods out to women who lived in, like, rural villages. Okay. And at first, they were – at the time, this was before IUDs were popular. Yeah. And what they had were diaphragms, but diaphragms need to be, like, individually fitted to each person. Ooh. So that's just, like, not really feasible to do no. for, like, all of these far-flung rural villages. 
And then what they would do is they would provide – this is, like, not funny because it's so serious, but it is kind of funny. They would provide women with a beaded necklace, and the beads were colors. Okay. And it was green for days that you were not fertile and red for days that you were. And there were 28 of them to reflect your menstrual cycle. Oh. And every day you were supposed to slide one over to see what day you were on. That's – Interesting. Yeah, but it didn't work at all because yeah, well, a women would forget that they like you would just forget to do it oh, one day and then you would be off. Uh, B, not every woman is on a twenty-eight day cycle. Exactly. Yeah, not to provide pod listeners with too much information, but I would get pregnant if I had one of these necklaces because I'm not on a twenty-eight day cycle. <laughs> and then there were some women who just didn't understand because like medical men would come to the villages and be like, here, use this necklace and you won't get pregnant. And they basically thought like, oh, I'm wearing this necklace. I yeah, won't get pregnant. Yeah, it's protected. Like, how um, would they know? Yes. And so there was a quote in this article that I didn't write down because I remember it. And it was, blessed be the irregular for their children will inherit the earth. Oh my God. Yes. That's fucking funny. So I think basically at the time they had the guy who was in charge of this program was just super anti-birth control. And he was like, you will use the rhythm method. Catholic couples, like the real Catholic couples. And I say this because I used to be very Catholic, so I could talk about it. It's fine. Who are like, oh, yeah, we're going to like, you know, no sex till marriage, only doing it like when we're not fertile. So like we won't get pregnant. And then their honeymoon comes immediately pregnant. That's how it goes. Same day, immediate. I've heard that story from... Several couples in my time. Well, the thing that's the thing about the rhythm method, which is like, it is effective if you do it right. No one just, does it right. Most people just can't do it right. It's you very don't... hard to do it right. Yeah. Especially back then before like they had the flow app, you know? Yeah. They don't even have period trackers. <laughs> oh, we're so far off topic right now. Yeah. But anyway, so that's the sum of my, and you can see why this was so interesting for me to research. Because, like, even though none of the characters are real, there were all of these things that are just in the periphery of Lakshmi's life where I was like, oh, is she doing all these designs on her henna? What about her abortion tea business? How legal is that? How long will it stay illegal? I'm so glad like, you did this research, Grace, because I would not have thought to look up any of this. <laughs> it's just interesting because there's so many threads to follow. It's can, not just looking, like, doing research for Hamnet, obviously you're just like, okay, I'll Google Shakespeare. Like, then I'm done. You can tell that Grace is the one with her master's in history because whenever <laughs> she does the history... It's so much more thorough than when I do it. This was an easy one to do. Like, there was a lot, but, like, it's there are a couple that you're like, okay, I have to really scrounge. Like, I feel bad for you because you had to look up, like, Leipzig or whatever that one random explorer was. Oh, oh my God. You're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) My enemy. Luckily, there were enough interviews with Taya Cooper where she talked directly about her research. Thank goodness. So that helped. Thanks, Taya. All right, should we move into the calculator? Yes. So as you all know by now, our lovely data scientist Ashley created a star rating calculator for us um, based on the categories of historical accuracy, vibes, prose, originality, and characters. And we say it's really high-level data science. It averages our numbers. We're Which just is not, high-level data science. We're just not smart enough to set that up ourselves yes. in sheets. But then we compare this to the rating that we gave it in Storygraph just based on vibes. Which mine was very different. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So for historical accuracy, I changed mine down a bit after hearing some of what you talked about. So I gave it a three. She took some liberties. Yeah. Which I don't always mind, but I think given what we've read so far, this is the author I think that has taken the most liberties with history. Yeah, I would say. Um, And it sounds like in not always the best way, even though we're not, maybe we don't have that cultural knowledge to make our own judgments on that. So we kind of got to go off reviews. For vibes, I gave it a four because I had a lovely time reading this. Prose, three, it just wasn't as strong, but I don't think it was meant, it didn't need to be as strong. Yeah. Yeah. Originality, 
I gave it a four. And characters, I gave it a three. And this was kind of a compromise because I liked Lakshmi as a character so much. And then just some of the other characters were so flat Mm -hmm. that I kind of had to average it out. So that's a final score of 3.4, which is wild. Because on Storygraph, I gave it a 4.25. You liked this book. So this was definitely my biggest gap. And I think talking through it with you, like, definitely gave me better insight to more refine my score. But yeah, my story graph is um, kind of always a heat of the moment type thing. It is never truly accurate until I reflect on it. Yeah. So. But I think also that's kind of how I feel a lot about these kinds of books because I read, like, I read a lot of romance. I read a lot of books that are, like, not hefty in literary value. Mm-hmm. And I could talk all day about, like, things that are wrong with a certain book. And then it would be like, but I still liked it. Yeah. At like, the end of the day, whatever. It's just, yeah. The vibes category is the important one. It is. Grace, um, what about you? Yeah. I actually kind of did the same thing after our discussion and went up on one of my ratings. Okay. Originally, I had given characters two uh-huh. because all the peripheral ones were... So bad. Yeah. Or not all of them. I think mainly the misuse of the abusive husband character yep. and then Rada being so annoying. And then the other characters are not really consequential enough to like make a difference. That's like Malik so, was delightful, but we barely even talked about him. But he didn't he do that didn't much. didn't do much. Yeah. But in our conversation, I realized I was like, no, like, Lakshmi is a really good character. Yeah. And I think I didn't realize it quite so much because we're in her head and also because she is so real. Yes. Which I appreciate. Um, and this is my most accurate, actually, because I wow. gave it across the board threes in every category. And that's what I gave it on story Crazy. Graph, a three. Yeah. So originally, that it was like a 2.8. Which is, like, seems low. Um, but I changed, you know, historical accuracy, vibes, prose, originality, characters, all three. So we're not, at the end of the day, our story graph ratings are very different, but our ratings are not. No, not really. But I think we agree about this book. It's just, like, all of the technical things that we point out, we don't disagree on them. But we just got different, we just had different impressions of this book. Yes. Yeah. So what's Overall, our five or flop rating? It's a fine. It's fine. And... All right, so Grace, I also realized that two weeks ago we never officially ranked the Cartographer's Secret. Um, Ooh, you can sorry. Tell we didn't film that in order because we actually just recorded that one most recently. But I think we can officially say Cartographer's Secret is a flop. Resounding. I think we forgot because like it's not necessary for us to say it. You guys know that we didn't like the Cartographer's Secret. God, when I was editing that episode, we literally were just dragging on. There was nothing to talk about. Anyways, <laughs> so next week we are reading Violetta by. Isabel Allende. Allende, Allende, making sure my pronunciation was correct. You know, I have been learning Spanish for like a year and a half, but I still get nervous. <laughs> I haven't, so that's why I can just say stuff. In the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Fiverrflop underscore podcast. Also, make sure to join our Storygraph Season 1 Reading Challenge. And if you have a book that you think we should read, you can drop it in our Google form, recommendation form, in our bio on all of our social media. And if you have anything else that you would like to tell us, you can email us at fiberfloppodcast at gmail.com. And Alka Joshi, if you want to come on and talk about your books, you're more than welcome to. Anyone's invited. We want to know what's coming after this trilogy. Yeah, right? All right. And until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.